All right. So um, I had a really good suggestion actually from uh, Jilly Bear, one of the commenters on uh, one of my videos, about using the uh, the Oxford English Dictionary set I got. There you go. Um, to give the definition of words once a, a in a while. And she, she made the suggestion of the word propaganda, which I thought was pretty cool. I like words, so I like this sort of um, uh, idea. And um, so I went and looked up propaganda just before I uh, was going to do this, uh, this video, which actually uh, is sort of strangely appropriate. For the reason that um, I came on to uh, to just mention the fact that I've, I've actually I was curious because I've got another couple of guys that said um, oh, I'm going to convert to Christianity, you know, to either Catholicism or Orthodoxy or something like that, as a result of having read my uh, short book Believe, which uh, you can get on Amazon in Kindle. You know, you can see it's a pretty it's it's not a huge book, right? It's 98 pages. It's an easy read. You can do it in a couple of hours, but um, it's had the effect of converting a number of people already, like probably four or five. I, I don't know. I'd have to go through all the comments and count it exactly, but I would say it's at least definitely four, uh, maybe five. I don't know. But I know that, you know, the book's just been out. I haven't really done any kind of marketing for it at all, other than mention it on the on this channel a couple of times. Um, that's basically it. So I thought that, you know, there can't have been that many copies sold. So I went to check and those, as of last night, there was 21 copies sold and at least four people that have told me they're going to convert because of it. Now you can say they might have been predisposed or whatever, but the thing is that's a pretty impressive hit rate so far. And that's the people that have let me know. I don't know, you know, probably some of the others have had some, um, I, know, I know for a fact, uh, one guy was baptized recently um, because, and he was, you know, I'm, I'm not even counting the beta readers. Uh, one of the beta readers, a couple of the beta readers have actually converted. And I'm not counting those. I'm just counting people f that I don't know, you know, that I've got no, uh, no relationship with. Um, that, have been converted because of it. And, uh, you know, it, it, I found that rather, rather interesting. So um, I was going to mention it. And then I looked up this word propaganda. Now it's very interesting because here it is. And I didn't know this, but the origin of the word propaganda it says um, now if, if I struggle a little bit with the with the reading it's just because um, as some of you know as you get wiser you know in, in in your life as you become wiser your eyesight sometimes fades a little bit it's got nothing to do with age it's a wisdom thing it's just be clear all right so propaganda uh, from the mod L title congregatio de propaganda de fide congregation for the propagation of the faith. In other words, it comes from the Latin of uh, congregation de propaganda fide. So congregation for the propagation of the faith. So it's a Catholic thing. Uh, more fully, congregation or college of the propaganda. 
a committee of cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church having the care and oversight of foreign missions founded in 1622 by Pope Gregory the 15th. So that's what the origin of the word is. But, uh, you know, by 1718, uh, in Ozel, in Tournefort's very Levant, Voy Levant, I guess that's the title of a book or some writing. Um, apparently on page 237, the congregation of the propaganda gives them at present but 25 Roman crowns a man. So there's some references in here that are pretty obscure. Um, that's why I love this, this dictionary, really. Uh, not all of these things are at all clear to me either, so don't worry if it doesn't make any sense to you. Most of it probably doesn't make any sense to me either. 1819 in Anastasius, 1820, page 168, an Italian missionary of the propaganda. In Galenga, 1851, Italy, that's the name of the work, I guess. The propaganda was busy in Paraguay or Otheite. So these are examples of how the word propaganda was used in the context that they said, which is the propagation of the faith. So that was point number one. Point number two, any association, systemic scheme, or concert, concerted movement for the propagation of a particular doctrine or practice, sometimes erroneously treated as a plural, equals efforts or schemes of propagation, with singular propagandium ap after Nicorondium, I don't know if that word is in even smaller type, so with singular propagandium up after memorandum. Oh, append. Okay, fair enough. So it's saying sometimes erroneously used uh, with the singular of the Latin propagandium attached after the word memorandum. So it's a very technical use of the word stemming from the Latin, which is an, an, an error in use. And anyway, um, you know, and then it goes on to give derived from this celebrated society in Brande Dictionary of Science, the name propaganda is applied in modern political language as a term of reproach to secret associations for the spread of opinions and principles which are viewed by most governments with horror and aversion. So by the year 1842, um, so in 1622, it was coined as part of the propagation of the faith. A couple of hundred years later, it had already become a term to be used as, um, you know, an, in a negative um, intention of the spreading of false doctrines and ideas. It's very interesting because, um, you know, this is a Protestant written dictionary because it's English um, and it was started in the 1800s, I believe. So definitely when Protestantism had taken root very deeply in the English consciousness. And it's interesting to see that the use of the word propaganda went from propagation of the faith to a bad way to influence people with bad thoughts through the, the use of it in the English language. Um, it's very interesting. And then, you know, it sort of went full circle. That's how language changes over time. It's very interesting. For example, in, uh, you know, there are another three or four 
versions of it, but most of them are aligning with the, with the modern version of the word propaganda. But it's interesting to think that, for example, in Portuguese, the word propaganda is used to describe adverts on TV. So what we'd call an advert in, in Brazil, they say propaganda. It's a, an advert. You know, uh, and I've I've always said, you know, unfortunately, Brazilian Portuguese is uh, it's it's a limited language. There are definite, you know, I, I know that people say all oh, languages are the same. No, they're not. You know, you cannot discuss physics or or mathematics in any depth in Zulu, in Cosa. You know, and similarly, uh, Brazilian Portuguese is limited as a language. Um, English is a far more useful language in terms of technical description of things because it has such a huge vocabulary as indeed this 13 volume dictionary proves. Um, you know, Italian is a, a far more technical language than Portuguese and you can explain things in a far more depth in Italian than you can in Portuguese, generally speaking, because Again, you know, Italian stems from the original Latin and is closer to it than Portuguese is. Um, you know, that said, you know, English has a lot more vocabulary than Italian. In Italian, you could say, you know, how are you? You, you depends on how you say it, the inflection you say it, whether you move any other part of your body with it, whether what your facial expression is, it can mean 10 different things. While in English, how are you is generally how are you? That's it. So it's it's an interesting topic, and I may well um, perhaps read a definition of a word at the beginning of videos from now on for a while, or when I remember to do it, because it's interesting. But it sort of ties in with the propaganda, propagation of the faith. There you go. So it's just one of those weird coincidences. So it's a pretty interesting thing that to me that um, I didn't you know I, I certainly hoped it would have that sort of impact but I didn't expect my book to have such a I mean right now we're talking something like a 20 20 25 percent conversion rate for people who bought it I don't know that all the people who bought it have actually read it yet um, you know that's another thing that was surprising to me but a lot of people apparently buy books and then end up not reading them it's sort of anathema to me. I mean, I have some books I have yet to finish reading because, you know, maybe another book came along or I'm always reading a couple of books at a time. So sometimes one takes precedence of another and then one gets put on the back burner for a while. But I eventually get to all of them. I, I've never bought a book with the intention of not reading it. So it's a bit strange to me, especially, you know, something relatively quick and easy read as, as that is. But uh, yeah, so I wanted to share that idea with you and just let you know. And uh, those of you who have bought it, uh, I'm assuming most of you are on this channel because I frankly haven't mentioned it many anywhere else that I can think of right now off the top of my head. I haven't even put it on the blog at all. You know, the blog's been neglected for a long time now. I probably should put it up there. It's just time. You know, it's easier to do a video than to um, go into the blog and add like to the tables and stuff. Anyway, that's it. That was just a, an interesting little tidbit. Um, on a completely different note, you know, everybody's talking about the Epstein uh, suicide. You know, there's a there's a brilliant little meme with Hillary Clinton's face on it. It goes, "Do you want me to kill yourself? Because that's how you get me to kill yourself." 
<laughs> you know, it's fucking brilliant. But yeah, uh, you know, whether he's dead, disappeared, whatever, it's uh, not unexpected at all. A lot of people had predicted that that was most likely to happen and certainly most likely to happen before the 14th, when I believe there was a scheduled court date uh, the, in which a bunch of stuff was supposed to happen or be told or whatever. Uh, it's also becoming absolutely patently clear that Epstein was involved or working for uh, Mossad or the Israeli Secret Service, was somehow involved with them, probably involved with the CIA as well. And a part of his... Um, situation was to do a honey trap for all sorts of powerful politicians and influential people um, apparently quite successfully um, and again it's interesting to note who these people are um, really I've watched another video of Amazing Polly and she's got a few of them up on Epstein I've put a link to her channel on my last video on the Nerva number 49 so number 49 if you go in the notes there's a link to her channel um, I really like that lady. She's um, she obviously does a lot of interesting, quite deep research, and she's got a lot of interesting information on Epstein and all uh, the people involved in it, and the media people involved in it, and uh, Vicky Ward, who says I tried to warn people about Epstein in 2003, and then she digs deep into it and finds out that Vicky Ward is intimately connected to Epstein and um, Giselle Maxwell and all these people. And, you know, Maxwell himself was also a pervert of note. It's it's really interesting. You know, these people all know each other, all connected, all in the same sort of thing. MI6 is deep into the, you know, deep state stuff with, um, with the swamp in America. And there's definite collusion and all sorts of things happening from Israel there. So, um, you know, one thing that Owen Benjamin has been very instrumental in, whatever, you know, Again, I love Owen, I'm on his side. He's totally wrong about the moon and a whole bunch of stuff on astronomy, but you know, that that's okay. I think he will eventually come around to that. I think there's a good reason, you know, there's reasons why he is so skeptical about such basic stuff. Um, I've mentioned this before, whatever. But the one thing that Owen has certainly opened a lot of people's eyes to is the Jewish influence in the zeitgeist of the planet. And when I say Jewish, I'm talking, of course, of Talmudic Jews, which are the only Jews that exist. You know, the Jews at the time of Jesus are not the same people that we call Jews today. The Jews at the time of Jesus split into two different people. Those who accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and whether they were originally Jewish or Gentiles, we now call all those people Christians. That's what they became. You have to understand that the Old Testament is essentially just a, a giant litany of, of prophecies to, to recognize when the Messiah would have returned. That's really all the Old Testament is about, mostly, for the most part. And, the, and it's also written in a completely different manner than the New Testament. And so there's a lot of allegory, there's a lot of um, metaphors, there's a lot of um, parable stories written as fact that are sort of parables and parables that are written as that, that become fact as parable it's it's quite complicated there's a there's a whole different way of interpreting um 
the way that the Old Testament is written is a, a way of writing that we in the modern world are not really familiar with. Um, so you need to have a little bit of understanding of that in order to sort of better grasp the Old Testament. But in general terms, big picture lines, the Old Testament is essentially a bunch of prophecies that were to be used to recognize when the Messiah would return. And most of that function is really what it's about. The New Testament is really what you focus on. And now the New Testament, there's quite a lot of references in the New Testament to material that the people at the time would have known and understood because it referred to stuff in the Old Testament. So, you know, there are some passages in the New Testament that make a lot more sense once you understand the context of the Old Testament at the time that it was written or at the time that Jesus was around. But in essence, the people that were truly following the Old Testament with good intentions recognized Jesus for who he was and became Christians. I mean, all the apostles were originally Jews and they all became Christians. So the other part of the Jewish people who did not accept Jesus Christ, who had him killed and who Jesus Christ described as the synagogue of Satan. Okay, those people absolutely hate Jesus Christ. They believe he's burning in hell in a lake of shit. They, um, he's, he's referred to in the Talmud as he whose name should be blotted out from history. Um, and these people are Talmudic Jews. Their religion has very little to do with the original Jews, which became Christians. Talmudic Jews are people who have rejected the Messiah, have rejected Jesus Christ, and have since used the Talmud to interpret the uh, Old Testament. And the Talmud is essentially a bunch of commentaries that goes on for volumes that are very, very difficult to get proper translations into English. And when you do get those bits translated that you can get translated, and there have since been some translations, you discover that the Talmud essentially is the twisting of everything in the Old Testament to suit what the Talmudic religion is about, which is essentially satanic. I mean, in the Talmud, it is acceptable to have sex with two, three-year-olds, you know, with, with little children. Um, the Talmud is a horrific document. It has many vile, vile, evil practices. And it's absolutely a fact that Talmud, Talmudic Jews hate Jesus Christ. They consider him a whoremonger, all sorts of blasphemies. So, if you call yourself a Jew, you are saying that you are essentially a Talmudist. You're a Talmudic Jew, okay? Because there is no such thing as Jews anymore. The original Jews became Christians. So if you say that you're a Jew, you are a follower of the Talmud, okay? Now, the fact that you might call yourself a Jew and you might be ignorant of what is in the Talmud and you just traditionally carry on and stumble along your way is irrelevant, okay? I don't call myself a Catholic without knowing what the rules of the Catholic Church are for the most part. You know, I might not know every single one to the nth degree, but I know most of them. I've certainly read through pretty much all of them, I think. So it's on you. You know, that's like saying, I'm a Muslim, but you know, I'm, I'm a great guy. I'm friends with lots of people. And you know, there are Muslims that are great people. You know, they call themselves Muslims and they're nice people. There's nothing wrong with them. But it's on them. Their ignorance is on them. I have a very good friend who was born and raised Muslims. 
and he's one of my best friends and he has since rejected Islam because he has read through the documents because he, he hadn't and he'd just been sort of brought up that way and then he said well you know I'm not friends with these guys which my book the holy Quran the unholy in my opinion Quran says um, that you know you're absolutely allowed to not just allowed you're instructed to always lie to non-Muslims you are to only pretend to be their friend, but in your heart, hold them as enemies. That's what it says in the Quran, you know, words to that effect. It's very clear. And there's no such, oh, but it's open to interpretation. No, because the Quran itself states there is no interpretation. This is a very simple book. And the things that are written in here are to be taken as they are. Uh, so, you know, if you, th if you call yourself a Muslim and you're unaware that you're to treat everyone who's not a Muslim as basically an enemy and only pretend to be their friend. That's on you. But I have read the Quran. Okay. And I have read parts of the Talmud. So I'm going to treat you as what you say you are. If you say you're a Talmudic Jew, I want very little to do with you because you hate my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you um, are basically saying, okay, it's all good to practices that I find worthy of being put to death. Okay, because having sex with little children, as far as I'm concerned, is a capital offense. And by the way, Jesus Christ said it would be better for such people to be drowned in the sea with a millstone around their neck. And he was ever merciful. I'm not. I'm a flawed human being. So I'm all for burning such people at the stake. It's a civilizing effect of the Inquisition, burning people at the stake is very much misrepresented. If we burned pedophiles at the stake in the public square, guess what? Within a year, there would be no more pedophiles anywhere in the world, right? We just have the mass in original Latin all around the world and we burn pedophiles at the stake. Guess what? Pedophiles would suddenly disappear, right? And those who have pedophilic tendencies would be able to control them very well, except when they can't and they're caught and burnt at the stake in the public square, yeah? So if you're a follower of a religion that states it's perfectly fine to have sex with little children, yeah, or that your holy prophet had sex with little children and therefore it's okay, yeah, if you're a follower of one of those two religions, I will have nothing to do with you. I will not want to do business with you. I will not want to have any association to you and I will not buy into anything that you're selling, okay? That doesn't mean that I want to put such people into, you know, concentration camps or that I am literally Hitler, blah, blah, blah. None of that. I just don't want to engage with them. Don't want to engage them. Don't want to buy anything they're selling. And I will expose their lies because these people operate on a bunch of lies. They essentially uh, try to pervert and twist things, including the Bible to suit their nefarious purposes, which is infiltration and, and subjugation and the twisting and the upside downing of everything. So when you come across a church that has been brainwashed by a Talmudist into believing that, oh, you should all turn, turn the other cheek and, oh, yes, you should allow the mass invasion of, you know, people with cultures and religions that are so anathema to yours that they literally want to wipe you off the face of the earth and you should welcome them with open arms. You know, that's what the Inquisition was about. You know, people think the Inquisition was about burning hot looking women at the stake for the crime of being sexy. No, 
That's not what the Inquisition was. The Inquisition killed about 3,000 people, and then only in the very extreme circumstances that where it was patently clear these people pretty much deserved it, um, over a period of a couple of centuries. And what was the original point of the Inquisition? It was to get rid of the fake converts. The Talmudic Jews in Spain conspired with the Muslims to invade Spain. And Spain was invaded by the Moors and taken over and pretty much, you know, became a Muslim enclave for hundreds of years. And it was only when Charles Martel, you know, Charlie the Hammer, you know, that's a good name. You know, Charlie the Hammer um, basically said, no, we had enough. And over the next couple of hundred years, they pushed the Muslims all the way back out into the Middle East and away from the uh, Iberian Peninsula. But what happened was that while this was going on, a lot of Jews had helped the Muslims and still had trades and all sorts of treaties going on with the Muslims to keep them as invaders. And this became more patently obvious. So uh, the Catholics said, hey, listen, we're done with you guys. Leave. Either convert to Christianity or get the fuck out because you're a toxic species. You're, you're, an, you're an invasive species that's trying to get another invasive species to destroy us. So we gave them the option, like, get the fuck out or convert. And so a lot of them converted fakely. And the Inquisition was essentially set up to root out these fake converts who carried on having the, the treaties and the, the underhand dealings with the Moors so as to maintain them into you know, what was properly a Catholic territory. And the Inquisition exposed these people and when they refused to leave or you know, so on, burnt them at the stake. Sometimes, other times, killed them, whatever. I am sure that, you know, there were probably a, a couple, a few dozen, whatever, innocent people that got killed in the Inquisition, or mostly innocent, you know, because who's truly innocent? But anyway, take Joan of Arc, right? Joan of Arc was burnt at the stake, and I believe Joan of Arc was uh, rightly made a saint. I believe Joan of Arc was indeed some kind of a prophet to a certain extent. And it's very interesting because as Catholics, you know, we, the 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 refrain of Paul of, I shall not suffer a woman to speak in church. We pretty much adhere to that, um, rightly so, for good reasons. And um, and yet Catholics are also, uh, you know, they get blamed for Mariology. But all that Mariology is, is showing proper respect to the mother of our Lord, which why wouldn't you? And, um, you know, the Catholic realism about the roles of the sexes in marriage is absolutely fundamental to the faith. And uh, funnily enough, I discussed this with my wife the last time I went to church, uh, you know, when we went for mass, which we, we generally can only get there once a month because there's only a mission here for real Catholics. And, um, and I just, you know, on the way back out, I said to her, you know, it's interesting. All the women at our church, uh, they're all married, they all have kids, and they keep making more kids. And um, they're all very feminine. And there is something really quite sensual, attractive, sexy even about them. And, you know, keep in mind, in you know, of course, in church, everybody's dressed conservatively. And, you know, there is no... Uh, there's no sexy dresses in Catholic Church, right? 
and, I, and, and I'm not meaning this in any kind of lecherous way, it was just an observation on the femininity of the women in the church. And, and she said, without batting an eye, well, yes, of course they are, because they're women. They're proper women doing what proper women are supposed to do, which is making children, being good wives and being good mothers. And it's like, and they're happy, you know, they're all astonishingly humble and happy women. And it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, and um, it's, it's a very interesting dichotomy compared to the zeitgeist of the world. Right. But the thing is, for example, that simple truth, you know, I, I suggest you go and look at a chorus of women singing from the 50s or from the 40s. They're all very well dressed, well done up, all slim, not obese blobs, all very dignified. There, I saw a video in black and white of a lady on a piano with a bunch of other ladies singing near her. And it was such a powerful uh, thing to, to witness because you're like, wow, I wish women were like that today. You know, you can just see each one of these women walking around town, you know, dressed like that. And again, no sexy dresses, right? We're talking 1940s, 1950 type clothing. Um, but their hair is all in place. They're all very pretty. Um, and even the ladies that are not particularly, you know, pretty, you know, structurally are well-dressed, well-maintained. And um, they have a femininity that is still attractive, regardless of the fact that might not be, you know, beauty models or anything. So these are important things, you know, they're, they're relevant things. And that's all being perverted, twisted and changed by the actions of people that will sell you a false bill of goods. But you have to buy into it. You have to buy it, you know. So it's up to you. And again, you know, that amazing Polly did a video on like how to hurt them. She knows how to hurt them. You know, the globalists, they, uh, uh, the people that are trying to brainwash everybody. And she basically says, get rid of your smartphone. Now that's a tough call. I don't think that's going to work. It, it's true what she says, you know, it's true. If everybody suddenly got rid of their smartphones and even say the videos, you know, only did this stuff and only access it on their computer and that's it. They refused to carry smartphones around and they did everything the old fashioned way without using um, smartphones. Yeah, it would set the globalists back at centuries, but we're not going to do that because human beings are unfortunately very stupid, very lazy, and they will go to the, you know, the easiest thing. I mean, I wrote a book, the, the books that I wrote, the, um, the fiction books I wrote, the um, uh, on, on the, you know, the Mars series, the um, Overlords of Mars series, which I've only got the first two books out. The third book has been a long time coming and it's still, you know, I, I need to make some time to finish it. Uh, but in there, it is part of the story. And I started those books almost, you know, the first one was written in 2011 and I had all the concepts in there already I formed was the fact that, you know, the books are set in 1999 and that cell phones are just sort of coming into then. And, and that was, a, it's a strategy. It's a strategy to make people have shorter attention spans, be dumb and just stupefy everybody into a bunch of cattle. And that's essentially what we're becoming. You know, the millennials have got the attention of fruit flies. Their attention span is about 30 seconds, you know, if they can focus. No one 
pretty much reads a book for five hours straight. No one works on a problem for like two days straight with barely eating and sleeping. But I've done that many times. You know, it's, it's a rare skill to have preserved that level of persistence and perseverance. And that's how most of the progress of the modern world was made. It was made by, you know, Catholic monks recording in, in, in detail over a period of years, the movement of the stars, the movement of the moon, to figure out, you know, basic astronomical facts, which we now take for granted. Um, it's a long persevering type of work. So, you know, if, if you want to, you know, be like Owen and go out there, get a farm and, and start farming and getting animals, that's great. But unless you get rid of your mobile phone, unless you get rid of the digitization, unless you are, you can literally live without paper money or banks, there's still going to be problems for you. And you know, I include myself in that a lot. You know, I'm doing this on a mobile phone. I have a plan. My plan is long term and, you know, not everybody has to have the same plan. I mean, part of my plan involves doing these videos and letting you know about this and then letting the people that read this spread the word to other people. And notice it's still flawed. It's still flawed. It's still off center, right? I still haven't fixed it. I, I might never get around to it. I can, you know, I'm, it's, it's starting to grow on me a little bit, the fact that there's a flaw right on the cover, that it's like off center because it's, it's so, and it's right off center at the back as well. It's so typical of true Christianity, right? Of true Catholicism. I mean, as quite a few people in history have said, well, you know, other people might be some other denomination, but I could only be a Catholic because I know just what kind of, you know, evil, crappy piece of work I really am. You know, Catholic Church is for the real worst of the worst. So, you know, the fact that it's flawed uh, is always a reminder that, um, you know, no one's perfect. And on that note, that just reminded me of an idiot, a complete idiot, Gamma, that is in a little group on, on Facebook that I belong to. That it's a, it's a secret closed group, so you, you can't join it. Don't ask me to. You won't. You won't get in there. But somehow this idiot got in there and... Um, he started to make a comment where like, you know, the children will be perfect as long as the parents are perfect. And I'm like, well, that's a completely stupid fucking comment because no one's perfect. And then he had a go at this lady who's practically a saint. I mean, she's adopted two little girls as a single mom. And it, the way it all happened is a really sort of divine inspired way, by the way. It wasn't her first choice of, of you know, what to do in life. And this guy basically um, said, like, well, you know, we know what happens to, like, children of single moms. And, uh, you know, she was like, what? You know, and I just said, look, you know, this guy's name just happens to be Dick Willie. Honestly, that's that pretty much his name. Uh, you know, it's a little bit different, but it's Dick Willie. Say, look, his name is Dick Willie. He's a dickhead squared. You know, that's that's and and then he started going on about I know the Bible. I said, listen, don't, don't lie. You clearly have never read the Bible even once, all right? If you think that there anybody is perfect. And then he said, well, that's in the Bible. No, no, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. What is in the Bible is that no one is perfect other than Jesus Christ. That is in the Bible. Okay, and I'm no great student of the Bible, by the way. But, you know, this guy is just making shit up. So understand this gammas, this Talmudists, this churchians, that all misrepresent, misinterpret, and essentially spread lies about the gospel, 
Jesus Christ, what's in the Bible. Again, I made a comment on one of Heiser's group, you know, the, I think it's the Naked Bible group, and I'm, I'm in there just as a, a sort of as a social experiment mostly, because I originally discovered Mike Heiser through his videos, and I presented him to this little group of people that I'm part of, the Dread Ilk. And, you know, some guys joked that uh, Mike Heiser has become the unofficial Pope of the Dread Ilk, which is not quite true. And, you know, Heiser has a lot of useful stuff and there's some useful things in it. But at the end of the day, he's still a Protestant and he still th sees things from a Protestant perspective, even though he calls himself non-denominational. Now, he is a Bible scholar of note and I respect his work very much. But he still makes mistakes and he's still wrong about stuff. Um, and, you know, that's important to remember. So, you know, when, uh, when you're studying the Bible and that sort of thing, it's, it really is important for you to go back to the root, back to the origins of things, you know, and look at the original writings of the patristic fathers. You know, it's, if, it's very difficult for you to read enough of those documents and then continue to be a Protestant. It's almost, almost impossible. If, you're, if you are at all honest with yourself, okay, and you read the, the original writings from the first 200 years of Christianity. You know, never mind the ones that came after, because there's plenty more as well. But there's, there's enough documented evidence of, of, there's enough documented letters of Christians from the first two centuries, okay, that it's enough to essentially prove that Protestantism is an absurdity, okay. And then you can argue about the details of the philoque and decide whether you're going to be an Orthodox or a Catholic. But basically it. So, you know, some of us are interested in spreading that message. And, and I sincerely hope that every single one of you that understands what I'm saying, does the same, spread the message. It's, it's not about, as I said, I, I don't make my living from my books, nowhere near. Okay. Um, I, I just don't, I never have, and I'm pretty sure I never will. But, um, Nevertheless, I've written some stuff that's pretty relevant, pretty important, pretty interesting, if you're interested in understanding a little bit how the world really works. So I do suggest them because the face on Mars has got a lot of information in there that is uh, that most people don't know, you know, and it's got a lot of references, a lot of back backups, you know. Keep in mind that again, you know, I have been reading this sort of thing, you know, since I was a kid for fun. I've been reading a lot of physics books that are curriculum level things at university. I read them when I was in high school for fun, just because I wanted to figure out how stuff works. I've tested a lot of things. I've traveled more than most human beings ever will. I have moved house 52 times. I have lived on different continents. I've lived in different countries, not just for a few months, but for years at a time. I have mixed with cultures so different one from the other that they probably couldn't exist in the same space for very long without trying to kill each other. Um, so, you know, I would have to be a complete idiot to not have learned some interesting things over the course of my 50 years on this planet. And as it happens, I'm no idiot. You know, I actually have a pretty high IQ and uh, uh, it's not always useful or helpful. It certainly caused me a lot of problems uh, in life to have a very high IQ and a little bit of Asperger's and not really like dishonesty. 
but there you have it. So anyway, that's pretty much my little mini rant over the use of the word propaganda, how it was used to spread the faith originally, and now how it's being used as a negative political uh, word. But there you go. And uh, just as a last thing, because my eyes fell on it, remember the cloud of unknowing. You can download the old English version from the internet for free, the cloud of unknowing. But I strongly suggest you get the Penguin Classics translation of that into modern English and you read them side by side. Um, it illuminates the original uh, to, to do that. So that's it for today and uh, have a good Sunday.